I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the final episode of Season 8 of the Parenting Aces podcast. We are closing out our 2019 with an interview with Coach Morgan Shepard, who is based up in the Berkeley area of California. And the way that I got connected with Morgan was actually through the dad of one of the kids that Morgan works with. This dad shot me an email and told me how much he enjoys the podcast, which, you know, I always love hearing that stuff. But he said, you know, I think my son's coach would offer a really unique voice to the shows you've been doing. And I'd love to have you talk to him, hear his approach to junior development, to the mental side and the physical side of the game, and to developing these kids into not only great tennis players, but great people. And so I am just so happy that Morgan agreed to come on the show. I'm thrilled that we are closing out our year with this interview, and I am just so excited for y'all to hear him. If you have enjoyed the podcast in 2019, please, please, please share it with the other tennis parents and tennis friends in your circles. We would love to expand our listenership as much as possible. We'd also love for you to consider becoming a Patreon patron of the show. And the information on all that is in our show notes on parentingaces.com. So check that out. In the meantime, as the year is coming to a close, as we are entering this crazy holiday season that we go through every year at this time, I want to wish you all a very, very happy holiday season. Wish you all very positive time with those you love. And thank you for being a listener, for supporting Parenting Aces, and for sharing our message with those in your circles. So, Thank you. And now I bring you Morgan Shepard. Morgan Shepard, I am just thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking time out of your weekend to join us. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks a lot. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Well, fantastic. I have been hearing your name for a really long time. I think more because you and my son share a first name and it's not that common of a name for, yeah. for these days. But um, I, I and I think the Boise connection, too, and the Santa Clara connection. I mean, there's so many connections. But uh, the way we wound up doing this podcast together is the dad of one of the juniors that you coach had reached out to me and said, you know, love your podcast, love listening to all these different coaching philosophies. I really think you ought to talk to my kid's coach. He has a unique approach to the sport and I think it would be great to add his voice to your repertoire. So I, I'm just really happy that we can do this. And I want to start out by having you give our audience a little bit of your tennis story, how you got started in the sport. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I was, um, I grew up in Southern California and I was predominantly a uh, baseball, football and basketball player. <laughs> And I played all of those sports in high school in, in addition to tennis. And um, so tennis, tennis was like something I did for fun, really. And um, 
didn't play that much juniors, went to like Tony Trabert tennis camp when I was a kid and had some friends that played and played a few tournaments. But I was looking, when I started looking at colleges, I was looking primarily for football. Um, and I ran across, uh, I was interested in UC Santa Cruz just because it was a good school and I loved it up there. And I, I met, I, I talked to the coach there who was a, a man named Bob Hanson, who was, was the coach there for like 30 years and one of the best coaches I've run across. And he, he kind of convinced me. He said, look, you know, I was a, I was a basketball player in, in college and, and actually went to tennis. And, uh, and I think you can become a great tennis player. And, you know, if you really love tennis, then this is the place to go. And so I decided to, to play tennis in college and it took, it took quite a while. I, I think I was very naive, um, regarding how, um, how complex and coordinated, uh, and how much experience it takes to really get good at tennis. Uh, and so it took me a lot of, a couple of years of really hard work with, with Bob and, uh, and playing every day for long periods of time to, to actually get good enough to, um, to make that team. Uh, and then after that, I, I, uh, I ended up being an all American and getting to the finals of the NCAAs in division three. And, and, uh, we had a great, great team, um, that won a national championship my freshman year when I was still trying to, you know, they won their first national championship. Bob's won like six, I think at Santa Cruz and another one at Middlebury. And, uh, but I was a part of a great culture and, uh, and that was, that was maybe the best thing of all. That's amazing. I mean, do you think that could happen now? Um, I think it, well, it does happen. Uh, I don't, you know, do the, Bob Hansen has had a lot of great players uh, that have not been, um, you know, excellent juniors, uh, but he's helped develop them over time and, and uh, become really good division three college players. Um, and I think, you know, I, I love division three. I think it's an incredible place to both you know, learn academically some of the best colleges in the country, as well as the culture and the uh, the competition at the highest levels of Division three is is fierce and great. Um, that being said, you know, tennis such a high coordination sport that um, most of the you know, most of the best D one players and for sure the pro players start at such early ages uh, because of the you know whatever you want to call it the motor memory nervous system memory. Um, requires such a continuous um, learning and learning at such usually young ages when when the brain and the body are so fresh to uh, to, to to create these pathways that that I think ultimately give us the best hand eye coordination to to strike the ball. Mm-hmm. And so, what did you major in? I- UC Santa Cruz. And by the way, if, if my listeners, if you've never seen the UC Santa Cruz campus, holy cow, that place is amazing. <laughs> amazing. But anyway, yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> tennis, court, tennis courts are on a plateau above the entire Monterey Bay and it looks out. Uh, and so you're, you're, you're playing tennis and, and seeing the Bay area. It's, it's uh, it's a beautiful spot. I, and meanwhile, um, you're in the middle of like a forest and feel like you're yep. at summer camp. I mean, it's yep. just, it's yep. the most magnificent thing I've ever seen. Okay. So yep. what'd you major in when you were there? I majored in psychology and that's, you know, what I've continued to study throughout. I did a, 
So I, I, I mean, I probably majored in tennis, really. <laughs> in terms of like the, the time, it's probably not great for all the uh, kids on the uh, show. But in terms of the time I spent, um, I, I probably spent more time um, focused on, you know, four hours a day on tennis and, and trying to learn everything I could about the game and play it to the best of my abilities. And I, and I loved it. So, so that's, you know, that's what it was a good reason to do that. And, um, and I was, you know, I was really interested in psychology as well, sports psychology and, and regular psychology too, and trying to understand how that, that, um, how I could integrate that into my own game, but also eventually I, you know, I became a coach and wanting to really integrate that into, into uh, the players to help the players that I was coaching. Did you always know you wanted to coach? Yeah, I, I, you know, from an early age, I I was was coaching. I I did even when I was in high school. I was I was like coaching at sports camps, and then when I got to college, I started. Uh, I mean, by the time I was a sophomore in college, I was like I had junior players that I was coaching. Even then, you know, and that were pretty good. I got lucky. I mean, one of the players I coached was like a very good. You know, he started him at like ten or eleven, but he. Uh, he became a very good junior player, maybe like three in NorCal during the time that I was I was coaching college. So yeah, I was always I, I mean I loved it and and I loved both the playing and the coaching aspect of it. And so after you graduated, you went directly into coaching, or was there a detour before you entered the coaching world? Right. So I I um. I, when I got out of college, I went and traveled for maybe a year and played, you know, went to France and Central America and played satellites and, and tried to, you know, get as many, uh, matches, experience points as I could. Um, and then basically ran out of money <laughs> because everybody, anybody that's done that knows how much money it takes to really pursue that dream. And, um, and then when, uh, well, let me interrupt yeah. you one second. When did yeah. playing professionally become a dream for you? Um, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I think I always kind of wanted to be a professional athlete. I, I loved, you know, all these sports and it was just what I did. Um, and so then when I was in, when I was in, um, at Santa Cruz, I mean, I, I was far behind the curve in terms of experience. Like I, I literally had probably played coming into the Santa Cruz, I probably played maybe five tournaments in my life. So that's, wow. that's how little experience I had coming in. Wow. You know, granted, I played high school tennis and, you know, I had, but I was a very good athlete. So that, that was helpful, but, but I didn't really understand, um, you know, the hand-eye coordination of the game. You just have to hit so many balls. Right. But, but so then when I was at Santa Cruz, maybe, you know, maybe, uh, I, I mean, most of the time I was always thinking about, I wanted to continue playing. Uh, but I had, you know, I had, I always had dreams of going, trying to play professionally. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's just, it's so interesting to me to hear someone say that, yeah, you know, I didn't really focus on tennis. I had all these other sports that I was good at and, and, you know, kind of fell into tennis in college because I met a coach that, you know, really yeah. like, connected with me. And, you know, then you get to the NCAA finals and you're an All-American and you pursue a professional career. I mean, that's just not a typical pathway, right? No, no, it's not. And I, and I think large 
you know, a large part of that is, is Bob Hansen, who, who is, like I said, I think he's one of the very best coaches I've ever been around and just, just an incredible person. I mean, really his, and I think this is one of the, probably my main point with coaching philosophy is it's all about the relationship. Mm -hmm. And he's just, you know, he's just one of those people you enjoy being around and that has such a zest for life and passion for the game that, that you can't help but feel the, the infectiousness of wanting to do it and be a part of the team and, uh, and play. And so that, that was really, that culture really just, I was like, God, this is, you know, I just wanted to play every day and I wanted to carry it as far as I could. That was coupled with this, this background of playing all these sports that, that, um, I mean, I'd been competing in every sport since I was eight years old. And, uh, and I think that was super helpful once, once I got the skills of the game, the, the strokes and had seen enough balls, uh, then all of a sudden it started to be all those skills of, of the speed and the hand-eye coordination and having competed in a lot of intense situations in football uh, could be channeled into tennis much better. I still was way behind the curve in terms of like timing and ground strokes because that just, it just takes so long to, uh, right. to get that, you know? Right. Right. I just think it's such a cool story. And so when you, you played on tour, you said you, you played till the money went, went away. Um, and then what was next after that? So I can't, I, I was, I was in France playing the, like the money circuits there. And, um, and I came back home and, and the, I came back home and like within two days, Bob, Hanson had called me and he's like, Hey, there's a coaching job open at Pomona Pitzer college, which is a division three school. Good, very good academic school and, and also a good tennis school. And, uh, and he said, you know, they're looking for a young coach. I, I, I don't know if you're interested. And I said, sure, I'm interested. And so the next, I had been back home for two days and I, I, I interviewed maybe two days later and, wow. uh, and got the job. And so that's how I started my coaching career. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. And so you had success there, I'm sure. Made your way to Boise State eventually, which is, I think, how I first heard your name was from Greg Patton. And you are now coaching juniors in a public park situation, right? Up in NorCal. Yeah. So I live live in El Cerrito, which is you know, overlooking kind of the Bay Area by, by Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And um, I, yeah, I teach on the, I, I rent lease the, the, uh, the courts from El Cerrito and, and Albany, uh, which is another community nearby. And uh, yeah, I teach, you know, I teach about 20 hours a week. Um, I, I do psychology the other 20 hours uh, or so. <laughs> like and, uh, you have a practice, like an office practice? So I, I work um, at an agency and I work with foster youth uh, primarily. And it's not all foster. It's, I work with any type of youth. Um, I'm a clinical therapist. Okay. And, uh, but primarily foster youth, um, ranging in ages from 6 to 18. And um, yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay. So I really want to delve into your particular approach to junior development because I am told that it is something unique. And just talking to you this little bit, 
and hearing your background and, and the psychology background and what you're doing currently in psychology, I can only imagine what you bring to the practice court with these kids. So what is your kind of underlying philosophy around tennis development with kids? So, like I said, the, the very first thing is, I, I think, is relationship. Um, and that's for both psychology and for, for tennis, in that, in that so much of, of who we are is formed in relationship with our parents. And that, um, so that, that early, whatever we experience there, we tend to take into, um, you know, whatever we do, especially whatever we put our, our hearts, our passion into, right? And so tennis is one of those things that in the passion, uh, in the competition, in the, in the fire of that are really, it's about our self is going to, is going to show through, right? <laughs> Both our sure. strengths and our weaknesses and whatever else. Right. And so it, it, it brings up all those things, which is um, if, if we have places that, that um, where we get nervous or where we get tight or where we get frustrated or angry or what have you, um, those, those are going to show up in these pressure situations on the court. And so much of that, I, I think, is at some level, we need another person uh, or persons to, to support us uh, in going through those things that maybe if we didn't go through them in a way that was um, supportive or successful or that fully kind of embraced all of us, all of our feelings, all of who we are as a, you know, when we were younger, then I think often that's what's going to come out on the court. And then that a lot of times becomes the coaches, not responsibility, but if, if you really want to support the player uh, through those, those parts, which often hold us back, then it is the relationship with, with the coach that is often going to be, the place that the player can develop new ways of, of dealing with um, all these challenges and all these parts of ourselves that, that emerge under pressure or when we are exploring something passionately. And so what does that look like specifically when you're in a lesson situation or a drills, you know, group situation with these kids? Right. So, um, just pick a common theme, say, uh, frustration or anger, right? So, so there, somebody's, uh, you know, we're, we're playing, maybe we're, we're playing com somewhat competitively. Like, uh, it's, we're trying to play a point out in the, in the, in the lesson, right? So we're working right. live ball drill, uh, where we're maybe working, playing big targets, and trying to attack a short ball and come in, right? So, but we're doing it more live rather than me just feeding. Mm -hmm. And so the, the student knows what they're trying to do. And yet at some point they, they're, you know, they're missing the short ball. They keep, they keep hitting it in the net or, or long or whatever. It's, it's difficult in the transition game coming forward and really. So then the drill becomes not, you know, it could be about the technique or it could be about, you know, the tactics. But in this case, uh, they're getting frustrated and angry, and so they're they're struggling to keep their focus 
and they're not able uh, and their body, their physiology is, is in a state that it's not conducive to them actually performing the action, the movement well. And so then, um, then it becomes more about that, right? The frustration and the anger. So what do, what do we do with that? And that happens often in, in matches too. Sure. Um, and, and so then for me, from my standpoint, from both the psychology standpoint and the coaching standpoint, uh, the first thing I want to do is, is, is kind of get where they're at, uh, to maybe talk to them a little bit, slow them down a little bit and, and just ask them what's happening rather than, you know, I mean, if I, if you've taught them a lot, sometimes you already know this, but, but you may just, there's something about connecting with them so that they, they get that you understand where they're at, uh, and that, that you're with them, you're supporting them. It's not so much an antagonistic, like, Hey, do it my way, or this is wrong or something like that. It's like, Hey, what's, what's going on with you? And, and let them actually maybe explain what they're feeling or, or, or thinking either way. Which can um, be a challenge in and of itself, especially when you're dealing with younger kids who may not have the self-awareness or even the language to explain to you what's going on with themselves. Right. I mean, absolutely. you know, I, I, to yeah. me that, that was always as a parent, even, you know, one of the most difficult challenges when I saw my kids getting worked up, whether it was through sports or academics or just in social settings and getting them to recognize what was happening and to be able to verbalize it. Right. Right. And, and so that's, and that's part of that moment is, is that, um, I, I think from my, my standpoint as the coach and, and in psychology too, it, it, it can be frustrating if, if they don't, if they can't verbalize it, right. If sure. They don't know what's happening and you ask them, Hey, what's going on? And they're just like, ah, just, you know, I'm not playing well. I stink, you know, whatever it is that they're, it comes out of their mouth and you're like, okay. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think part of that is what we as a coach or as a therapist embody in those moments or as a parent, right? Like, can we remain present, <laughs> calm, um, uh, and in a certain way, open to, to them wherever they're at, right? So, so that they're going to feel where we're at. And this is one of my primary things. Like when I was coaching college tennis, when we're, you know, we, we would get to coach the players on the court. And a lot of times it, I, I felt it was more about the coach's presence than it was necessarily what they were telling, you know, what we told the players tactically, um, that if the coach can embody, okay, Hey, I'm, I'm confident, I'm present, I'm enjoying this. Um, I'm with you then the player got that, right? And they felt it and they could then take it onto the court. But if, if I'm as a coach or a parent or whoever embodying this, like, what are you doing? You know, why can't you be calm on the court? Why aren't you, you know, executing what I'm telling you to do? Uh, if it's from that standpoint, then you get into this kind of reciprocal relationship where, where both people are, are, are kind of charged and pushing that essentially the nervous system to a dysregulated level. 
And that's when you're not going to have a lot of great play from there. And you're probably not going to relate, you know, have a, be able to talk relationally in a good way from there either. So anyway, I don't know. Is that, is that making sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, you know, it's, it, it makes total sense to me that if the adult is also in an agitated state, that things spiral downward very quickly. So as adults, it's our responsibility to kind of quash, even if we are feeling agitated or are feeling angry and upset with our kid for behaving poorly or, you know, not playing fully engaged or whatever it is, it's only going to make matters worse if we're not able to stay calm ourselves. And that when my kid was playing and I was on the sidelines, that was the biggest challenge I faced week in and week out. And I can tell you when he finally got to college, that was the time where I was finally able as the person on the sideline, the adult to say, you know what, this is just a tennis match and I get to sit here and watch my kid do this thing. And how lucky am I? But it took me, (laughs) it took me a really long time to get there. And if we're not there, how in the heck can we expect our kids to get there? Yeah. And this is generally how they learn it, right? If, if the parent can, can, knows how to, there's two parts to this. One is parent knowing how to stay calm and, and really see the child and attune to where the, the child is at. It doesn't, this doesn't mean that like we let them do these acts of like, you know, whatever, breaking a racket or cheating or whatever it is that is, you know, that we really need to hold those boundaries. Because that's not gonna that's not gonna serve anybody, much less the child or the you know anybody else. If right. that's if that's happening, but it does mean that we can hold our presence in a way that doesn't you know doesn't kind of go along with that same energy that the child's you know producing at that point or the student or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the first part, and that's a lot of psychology is in some ways about uh, learning how to be with our feelings, right? Learning how to be like, oh, there's, there's frustration, there's anger. <laughs> this is comfortable, <laughs> right? I either want to explode or I want to go away or I want to quit. Um, okay. Can I actually, can I actually be in that feeling? Can I actually like acknowledge this is what is right now in my body at some level? And, oh, there's my thoughts that go along with that and, um, and be with it. Because we can't be with it, then at some level, it just runs the show. It takes us, you know, in either an action that we may not want to do or kind of um, just suppressing it to the point where we're just going to be so tight that we can't really play. But Morgan, specifically, when you're on the court with a kid and you see them start to go to that place of anger, frustration, you know, self-doubt, whatever it is, what in the moment, are you doing as the coach or are you saying as the coach to teach them the, uh, the skill of being with the feeling and, you know, letting it do its thing without, you know, causing the match to go down the toilet? Right. right. So first thing is the presence, whatever you're embodying is going to really help the other person 
either find that calm or 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 be able to actually feel the anger and hold it at, rather than pushing it away, right? So if you don't, if you personally don't know how to feel anger <laughs> and hold it, like, and be with it, then it's very hard to, to teach that skill to somebody else. Okay. So that's the first part is, and people sense that when like, oh, this person can be with me in this, in this emotion, or they're not comfortable with it. So they can't be with me. So that's the first part. The second part is that, you know, so when you're talking to them about verbalizing it, right, you, you may support them in like, hey, you know, verbalize it like you're, you're, and, you know, and like, you know, you, what, but then I would probably connect them to like, okay, what do you want? Because at the heart of anger or frustration, usually something you want that you're not getting, right? So, so we're going to try. Okay, wait, sorry. You broke up for a second there. So you said in the heart of anger, in the heart of frustration, usually they want what? It, there's, I, some, and then, there's something that they want that they're not getting. Okay. That, Got it. Anger, anger is generally about taking some action. Like it, it's calling for something to happen that's not happening. Right. We want, in this case, you know, back to the example on the court, like, okay, this, uh, it says this person is trying to, to, you know, create a short ball, get the short ball attack and come in and finish the point. Right. And they keep hitting it in the net or long or whatever it is. Um, and so they're not, they're not being able to execute the goal of hitting the ball well to where they want it to go, you know, and hopefully win the point, right? Like a lot of times it gets stuck in that, well, I want to win and I'm losing, so I'm getting frustrated, but, mm -hmm. but we need to dwell down closer to the, to the actuality in the present moment of what's happening because you don't win by wanting to win. You win by executing, you know, the skill. And so you have to know what you're trying to do in order to, to do it, right? So, so sure. in this case, it might be, so first I'm going to, towards like, okay, let's, let's get their anger focused on what, what is it you really want? Okay, I want to hit the ball well. I feel like I'm playing poorly. Great, okay. Can we channel that? Your anger is okay because in a certain way, you, it's calling for something good. You want to play well, right? You want to win, you want to execute. Great, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. So. By identifying it to something that is actually at the core of what they want, rather than just like, I want to smash the racket, then you can start channeling it. Okay. So does that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. again? Yeah. Okay. So, so then, then it's, then it's a long, it can be a longer term process of, of, of bringing them to the present moment of, okay, what are the things that allow you to play well? And that, you know, the, the number one thing, I mean, this is very simple, but is that we need in, in competition, we need to be able to track the ball well. We need to be, that is like the number one skill is how well do we track the ball? <laughs> and that's also what keeps us present because the ball, if we're really engaged with it, it absorbs our attention uh, almost completely if we're, if we're, if we're tracking it well. And that, in and of itself keeps us present in the moment. So then these other things of thoughts of like, oh, I'm not playing well, or I need to do this, or what happens if I lose generally can fade away. It's almost like a meditation in that sense. Okay. And so how do you get them back to that place? I, I think number one is, is the, you know, first of all, that 
they're seen and heard and you're with them, right? So that helps that helps bring the level of their anger, their frustration down at some level, or at least contain it because they're they're sharing it with another person, which is helpful. Two, we identify what they really want. Okay, you you want to play well, you want to win. Okay, how do we do that? And then the process of this generally takes time of like, okay, let's come back to the present moment. Like, let's get back to tracking the ball or, you know, it could be another cue. There's other cues that like, if, if it's something technically that's not working for them, let's channel it. Let's get you doing what your, you know, your footwork pattern or, you know, your swing the right way. We might have to slow this down and back it out and do something else to get you to the point where your skills are at a level that you can accomplish what you're wanting to accomplish in the drill. And so that's, you know, that becomes the coach and the player figuring out what the best, what the best focus is in that moment that can keep them really present and, and have them feel confident and successful at what they're, at what they're doing. I mean, as you're saying all this, of course, it makes a hundred percent sense, but, but what I'm, what's jumping out at me is one, the fact that you during a practice session are incorporating practicing the mental side of the game that they're going to need to get stronger at if they're going to be successful in competition. Two, you are giving them skills that they are going to be able to use in so many different settings, not just in a, a tennis setting. And three, the fact that I have watched enough tennis lessons and group lessons and drills, you know, over the last however many years to realize that in the majority of cases, if a kid has a a meltdown on the court during practice, most of the coaches are just disciplining the kid and telling him to knock it off and get back to the job at hand rather than using this as an opportunity to practice a skill that's going to make them a better competitor. And I, I mean, am I saying something that makes sense to you? I, I just, as I'm listening, I'm thinking, holy cow. I mean, this is just, this is so awesome that you're using the practice time to develop such an important life skill for them. Yeah. And I think this is the opportunity that tennis and sports and coaching present so much of the time is that we're teaching these deeper life skills, right? The, the relational, the how do you stay with something that's important to you? Uh, how do you, you know, how do you focus in the right way to, to get what you really want? Um, th- these are, you know, these are such important skills. That being said, your example of like most of the time coaches, you know, are just disciplining. I, I think it's really important to recognize that, that, we need to kind of set this up, this, these situations up, like, like, um, it's going to take some time (laughs) to talk about it, especially when it's first happening, right? Mm -hmm. Like when the frustration or the anger first comes that you may need to spend some time with that person to tell them about what, you know, what, what, what your philosophy on that is, or how you, how you, how you handle that or what the expectations are for that person when this comes up. Um, and, and so that 
over time, as they understand what you're asking for in these situations and how to focus their, their, you know, their essentially, I, I think of like frustration and anger as energy inside of us, how to focus that energy. Um, then it becomes a much faster process when we're in the lesson or, or in the competition, hopefully, where you can just, you know, remind them, Hey, what's really important. What, you know, the, the, one of the common acronyms is what's important now, right? When, <laughs> what mm-hmm. is important now that, that, that in order for me to get what I want. Right. And, and because if we tank or we quit or we smash the racket or whatever it is, we're not generally going to get what we want and it's just going to feel worse or we're going to feel dejected down the road. Right. So, so that's, that's where this process, once, once they kind of understand the process and that we, you know, and feel our support, that's the deep, that's why relationship is so key is they, they need to really feel us with them in a, in a way that, that, that we're helping them in the beginning, contain the emotion, be with the emotion. And then we're going to help them channel it, but, but that takes time. And that's not, you know, that it's not something that we can just immediately like stop in the middle of a lesson and be like, okay, we're going to do this. It, it, I mean, we could do it that way and I do do it that way, but, but it like is going to require like, Hey, we're going to take 10 minutes to really get clear on what we're doing here. And then over time it can be, uh, Oh, uh, let's just take a minute and figure out how to refocus and get you going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And is this something that you discuss with families when they first show up at your facility and, you know, want you to work with their child? I mean, are you discussing with them from the get go that, hey, this is my philosophy. This is my approach on coaching and tennis. And, you know, I I just want you to understand that you may show up at a lesson and you may see us standing there talking and, that doesn't mean that we're not working. We are working. This is is part of the process. Because I I mean, let's face it, parents, when, when parents pay for a lesson, a lot of the time, the expectation is that you're going to hit as many balls as possible during that hour, whatever the time period is. Right. I mean, and they, they're not happy if they show up and balls aren't being hit. Right. Um, I, I don't generally discuss it with people in the beginning. Um, I, I mean, I, I teach like, I think many pros teach in, in the setting I'm in where you have an hour and I want to get the most out of that hour. And so, you know, the person shows up for their first lesson. Usually they've, you know, they've heard almost all my advertising is through word of mouth. Okay. So I, I have the benefit of usually somebody that has played a lot of tennis telling another person that's played a lot of tennis, Hey, you know, you might want to go try this guy as a coach. So I, I have that already there a lot of the time. Then, so when we start, I'll always ask them, you know, for their first, first time. And I usually ask them in the beginning of lessons too, what, you know, what do you, what do you want to get out of this? Or what are your goals or, or something like that? And I'll get some information from the parent usually on the phone, like how do they start playing um, a little bit of what, you know, what they're after and maybe what the challenges are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have some of that in mind, but not always. And then, and then we just start, we play because at the heart of the game, and this is, this is a whole nother side of it. I mean, there's so much to this, all this stuff, but, but one of the main things about regulating the nervous system 
and creating the right physiology for, um, for, for performance is that we want to build on the good. We want to build on what somebody's doing well, that we learn the most actually from when we're hitting the ball well and then dwelling on that and letting that become stronger and more rather than focusing on what, like what somebody's doing wrong. Or what, what is, oh, they have a problem with their stroke mechanic. Let's focus. Like, it's, I'm, I'm incredibly, um, like, I believe that the highest level of players, you know, if you look at Federer or Djokovic or Nadal, they are the best ball strikers. They have the best technique. They are the best, they, they are the best form. So we want to get our players to the highest level of form because they'll have more skills to play better, to, to hit the ball better. And that right. is essentially what tennis, it, you know, one of the main things that tennis is about. So I, I'm always focused on that. And I think a lot of times people try to get there through telling people what they're doing wrong. And, and I think from my perspective, I want to get you there by feeling what you're doing right. And then moving, continually moving that in, in the direction of the highest level of form uh, of the stroke or of the technique. Uh, and, and so because essentially if the body and the mind, which I think are, you know, kind of one, they're not really two separate things, um, are in the right physiological state, that our nervous system, our, our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system are balanced then we are we are feeling good we are we are in the the best place to perform well and learn well so most of what i'm doing is trying to get that student uh or whoever's taking the lesson into a good physiological state both both physically but also mentally uh and go from there and so if something comes off then we have to figure out how to get it back on but that that is more of a a focus than anything else so if a student comes to you and says, you know, I'm really not happy with my backhand slice. I, you know, I need to work on it. It needs to get better. I need this in my repertoire. Um, yep. So I, I'm assuming you're going to feed them some balls and watch how they hit the ball with the backhand slice. And, and, and then what's your approach? You're not, I mean, what I'm hearing from you is, you're not going to look at that slice and say, you know, your grip's all wrong. We got to fix that. Instead, it sounds to me as if your approach would be, wow, I really like uh, your how you keep your elbow up to start the backhand slice. And so let's build on that. And from there, the next piece of your swing pattern should be blah, blah, blah. I'm not a coach, so I don't know all the mm -hmm. technical no, stuff. No, you're, you're saying it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is that how you, I mean, is, is that how you would talk to a kid that, that comes to you with that? Like, Hey, I need you to help me fix my backhand slice. Yes. I, I uh, rarely am I going to point out like what's wrong. I may, I mean, I may come to that at some point, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm going, but I'm still going to work on their technique. So um, it could be similar to what you're saying. Yeah. Like you find what they're doing well. And like, yes, that's it. it. But but what I do find a lot of times is that when there is a mechanical problem, that the body is tight somewhere. And it's generally in a joint. I mean, it can be a muscular tightness, but a lot of times it's in a joint. 
And so then the joint is not mobilizing the way it needs to mobilize to hit the ball at its best. And so part of what I'm doing is trying to figure out how to let that joint uh, or like the tension pattern become free. And then, then I'm going to try to put them in a situation where, because at the highest level of the game, uh, the body wants, the highest form technically is the most natural, is the most natural way to strike the ball. So, so that being said, the the body wants to move towards its nature. It wants to, it wants to, it wants to swing in the most efficient uh, way possible, which is also the most efficient way. Energy wise is also going to lead to the most powerful way and also generally the most controlled, right? So that's, we're just trying to let the body take its natural form. And so, so we don't have to necessarily point out what's wrong to, to let the body move towards what's right. <laughs> and if, if you're saying in, in a lot of cases, it's a joint issue rather than something else happening, what are you doing specifically to free up that mobility in that joint? I mean, are you doing like warm up exercises, bands, something like that, or is it something um, else? Well, is it, I mean, I think the warm up and things are really key in that that like I do a dynamic warm up, and I don't I don't usually use anything else, but but I generally try to get the body loose, at ease, in a good rhythm, feeling comfortable, having fun, playful. Uh, that sets the tone for everything to be to be working pretty naturally. Right. Uh, but a lot of times if there's a habitual pattern, that doesn't, that doesn't change the pattern. So Mm -hmm. then, um, so then I I will bring awareness to the joint, uh, meaning like, so in your example of say the person slices off, right. And they're say they're, uh, you know, they're either their elbow is tight or their shoulder, one of those two joints. uh, So the, the form of it isn't like, the arm isn't, you know, we, we talk about like a, uh, um, the kinetic chain, right? And, you know, yeah. kind of from the ground up through the body and, and coming through. And the last part of that kinetic chain is the hand and into the racket. So each of these joints is kind of like a doorway of that kinetic chain in a, in a certain way. So um, if the elbow's tight or the shoulder's tight, then we're not going to have that, that flow into the ball and probably not going to have the feel for the ball on the strings that we really want either. So, um, so then I'm, 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 I'm asking the person to maybe put a little bit of awareness into their elbow. I'm not telling them they're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying, Hey, you know, can you notice what your elbow is doing as you swing the racket? Right. And so then just in that awareness, um, they may, they may find that, Oh yeah, I, I feel, you know, it feels a little tight or, or whatever it is. I'm just listening to what they, what they'll say about it. Right. And just, Oh, that's interesting. And then, um, and then, you know, and then I'm feeding them. I'm really also, um, navigating my feeds, right? Because another one of the main principles that if, if I'm feeding the ball at too fast or too, or the distance is far too far away, then what's happening is they're going to revert to their pattern, their habitual muscle memory, we call it muscle memory, but it's really nervous system memory, I, I think, um, they're going to revert to the pattern that they've been using and that they know best. And so that, that tightness is part of that pattern. And so then they just are going to keep 
keep going with that tightness. So I need to, you know, I'll go to a hand feed much closer in. I'll go maybe to the point where I don't even feed and just have them shadow the stroke so that they can feel, you know, they can feel what it's like to, to swing at ease mm-hmm. and then, and then slowly feed them balls so that hopefully that, that, you know, that joint or muscle pattern releases. Uh, also being said, I will have them mobilize the joint in different ways, move the joint up, down, left, right, you know, turn, turn it in certain ways so that they can feel what the range of motion is like and what it's like for it to be free. And then, and then start to hit from that, that, you know, once they free it up, then start to hit from that perspective or get feeds from that, that place. I, this is all just so interesting to me, honestly. I, I have never talked to a coach about these kinds of details. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of coaches <laughs> over the last eight years. Um, I just, I am fascinated by how you combine the psychology piece with the physical piece with the competition and the development and all of these things kind of come together. And, and I guess this is why Scott wanted me to talk to you. So (laughs) Scott, if you're listening to this, thank you. Um, You know, one of the other things that Scott mentioned when he first reached out to me to introduce the two of us was your worldview and, you know, your approach to life in general and how you share that with your students. And so I wanted, cause we're, we're coming down the last 10 minutes or so. I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that a little bit. Sure. Um, when you say my worldview, can you, can you give me a little bit more like what you, what you're thinking of? In, well, in the I, that? yeah, I mean, I, I, listen, it's, I, it came to me in an email. So I'm assuming what Scott means is mm. kind of, the your philosophy on human development as opposed to just tennis player development and mm. you know the lessons that you try to impart to these kids in hopes of having them develop into good human beings yeah yeah um yeah i, I definitely see tennis as uh, a microcosm of life that is something that uh, it's a practice, um, something that we get to, as coaches and as players, we get to focus on that. And if we love it and are passionate about it, um, it is going to show us, tell us, um, give us a chance to see ourselves. And so that that opportunity both as the coach and as the player in relationship to um, because I, I think at the same, like I'm learning as much a lot of times from, I feel like from the player as they're learning from me. So mm-hmm. I think I take that um, mentality into it that, 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 um, that I have a lot to offer this person, but I also have a lot to, to like, it's a mutual, it's a reciprocal relationship. Um, and in that, um, we're going to explore this microcosm tennis, uh, to, and that exploration is really about the development of our, of ourselves, you know, in, in this, you know, in the game, 
in relation to the game, but in re- in our relationship as well. I see it that way that the skills that the what they learn in terms of um, you know the emotional side of the game that we were talking about, what they learn in terms of how their body is, um, you know, how how to become more natural in the way that they move, so that they can take that into their lives so that hopefully they're healthier as they move through their life and get older and, and do other things, you know, and don't have these chronic injuries that, that um, can plague us. Um, that they learn that if, if I give myself to something and I'm willing to, to um, really be authentic, that, that I can share like tennis and sports, like what I think one of the things we love about it is that like, I think at the highest levels, it's, it's, it takes all of us. We have to be willing, not have to be, we, 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 if we are willing to, to show all of ourselves in these moments that, you know, that the, the, all of the emotions of the, the spirit, the focus, the, the ferocity, as well as the, like kind of the openness and the intimacy that goes with really um, being on a stage in front of people and competing at, you know, giving our best that, um, that that in and of itself is just a wonderful lesson that like, hey, in order to do something really well, it, it, it's these qualities opening ourselves up and, and being ourselves that, ultimately give us the highest level of performance and um and at the highest level of satisfaction and so that's i think that's really what i'm about for um as a coach um that these things line up that there's a reason that um i think we love it but also that we that we're it's it's like the more that we give to the game the more it calls us to give give fully of ourselves to um uh, in the performance really. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for taking time to chat with us and to introduce yourselves to the parenting aces community yourself to the parenting aces community and your approach to coaching and your approach to tennis and your passion for this sport, which just oozes out of you as I'm (laughs) on the phone with you here. I I'm just, you know, I hope we have an opportunity to meet in person sometime really soon. So um, thank you, Morgan Shepard. Appreciate it. Thanks, Lisa. No, it's, it's, a, it's a joy to get to share it. And, uh, and it seems like I'm um, really happy that you, uh, you're doing what you do. With, uh, it seems like a really, really needed and, and uh, yeah, just something that people can get a lot out of. So thanks for, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on. And to my audience, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time, which will be in 2020 season nine on Parenting Aces. Have a great day, y'all. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.